0: It was a soft, gentle night in the little town of, of, well, your town. The gentle breeze swept the streets, creating that pleasant howl that these kind town folks have enjoyed for so many, many years. The wind chimes sent their peaceful melodies into the ears of the sleepy residents. But the unusual was approaching in the distance, Something evil headed toward this small town as the residents slept. Something crept, slithered, and crawled its way through the quiet streets. Guided by the moonlight, these frightening strangers set up tents and rides, shows and games. There were savage jesters and wicked ringmasters. There were horrid freak shows and sights only the impending doom will witness they brought with them the carnage that they had lived with for eternity the morning is a new day the people of this town will unwillingly witness the show of their lives only rumored to exist they will be the next to die helplessly at the carnival
1: a dark carnival if you will like who would have thought
0: <laughs>
2: congregation to this a special bonus episode of the book of mega drive this is a special halloween treat and we're playing a special halloween treat of a game which uh might be sweet or sour depending on who you are nightmare circus definitely my favorite brazil exclusive mega drive game I know if you're listening to this, you probably thought this was going to be Pocahontas, and it's not Pocahontas, but, uh, Pocahontas is still happening, the normal stuff is still happening, this just seemed like a fun thing to do for October, and, um, that's what you're getting this month, so I hope y'all enjoy that. So, joining me to talk about this delightfully strange game today
3: are...
1: Uh, it's me, uh, Spooky, Scary,
3: king Uh, this is closed here? Nightmare Circus. <laughs> I don't think so. I prefer the Dark Carnival. Hey everyone, it's me, Ramana I just want to give a quick shout-out to all the jugglers listening out there. Whoop, whoop! Truly,
2: truly, our, our podcast listenership is a miracle. And I'm Automatic Tiger. To begin, we turn over our... First Joker's card this episode is, of course, as always, the Blast Zone, which probably should have a thematic name, but I'm kind of stressed out right now. So here in the Blast Zone, as always, we discuss the spooky gameplay, the creepy game mechanics, and the hyper-fast action of being blasted by jack-o'-lanterns, and and talk about the gameplay and whatnot. I did not actually give anyone any instructions for how long to play this game, but since it's traditionally how we start, how long did you play this game, everyone?
1: I think I played for about 45 minutes to an hour I had no idea what was happening despite having prior watched Tigress talking stream for like two hours talking about stuff and reading several paragraphs of summary I closed I just sort of rolled around a lot, and tried to figure out how I rolled around a lot, and kicked people, and got run over by stuff, and got shot, and got hit, and it was a gay old time. I probably
4: spent a embarrassingly long amount of time in this game, five or six hours at least, kind of just plumbed the depths as much as I could.
3: I did the bare minimum, I played this for one hour, and then I said, no, fuck this, and I played something else after that.
2: Nightmare Circus is a very, very late Sega Genesis release, and by late, I mean posthumous, because it was released in 1996, and it was only released in the US as a Sega Channel game, that's a sega download service that i think we might have mentioned before and if you're listening to this podcast you you probably know about it maybe someday we'll talk about talk about in more detail but yes indeed you could download games on the sega genesis in the 90s it was released on cartridge though in one region which is brazil that wonderful magical land of Sega that is currently undergoing some very not-wonderful political and environmental problems at the moment. But, uh, at least in the 90s, it was a pretty exciting time to be a Sega fan if you were in Brazil, because that's basically all of the game consoles they had. Behind-the-scenes stuff, which maybe I'll talk about in the Labyrinth Zone, or maybe not. But, the point is, this was a very, very late-release game. It only came out in Brazil, and... It's a weird one. Uh, it is a side-scrolling brawler platformer uh, where you play a Native American guy who is trapped in a nightmare circus by a monster entity called... Hi, Tigress here during editing. I'm going to stop the podcast for a minute to tell you I'm about to make a very wrong statement, which is that the bad guy is called the Joker. Sue me. The movie had just come out in theaters. The bad guy is actually called The Jester, but we're not going to figure that out for, like, an hour from now. So, apologies for the inaccuracy. The Joker, who is not that Joker, or that Joker, Batman and ICP fans, respectively. Whoop, up, Whoop, up, <laughs> And, um, this one uses the six-button controller and for the Genesis, and it uses not just all six buttons, but the mode button, which was technically never supposed to be used for anything other than uh, booting uh, the Genesis console to use the uh, six button as a three button controller for games that needed it for compatibility. But indeed, this game does use all seven buttons of the six button controller. It's hard to know how to start start with the with the flow of the gameplay, because yeah, it's a brawler. Sort of? And it's a platformer. Sort of. Closed, you being, um, the foremost expert on this game, how <laughs> would you, how would you introduce this game?
4: Uh, in terms of, like, genre,
2: or? Yeah, Just... like, like, it, I'm sorry for putting you on the spot here. Um, I probably should have asked about this. Like, like, how do we even begin to discuss Nightmare Circus? Cause it, yeah, it's a brawler platformer, which gives you a series of, I guess, worlds, areas, levels to choose from. And everything is evil monster circus themed.
4: I mean, ostensibly, it's like a brawler platformer type game. Uh, like Nightmare Circus, the, the brawler platformer is not, not a good game. Nightmare Circus, the, the weird, bizarre adventure game is fantastic. Everything about the game, the controls are generously unintuitive the every stage has its own special rules that it plays by there's all sorts of animations that are unique to one particular area and then never used again
2: and every stage has a um completely different objective, none of which are stated
4: yeah nothing nothing is ever explained to you. It took us a great deal of time to even figure out what what parts of the u i were doing.
2: Did we ever even figure out what was going on with the one little ball that spins
4: yeah the little the little Blue flashing gem that the the health bar man sits on. Yeah. It's a great sentence to begin with. (laughs) Yeah, I still have no idea what that does.
1: I would like to narrate my opening experience with this game when I finally booted it up and selected a stage. Just give an idea of the first impression it gives.
4: Yeah, I wanna hear this because I'm curious if it's the same the same thing that, that I had.
1: I appeared on a roller coaster rail. I was uh, Blackthorne's slimmer UHF channel cousin.
2: Blackthorn being Wizard's uh, cinematic platformer protagonist from a game that no one remembers anymore.
1: But we remember. Now you'll remember.
2: <laughs>
1: uh Almost immediately, two strange men with pistols materialized out of thin air to either side of me and began shooting me with bullets. I started pushing buttons. I found I could high kick them. I found I could punch. I tried crouching. And because I am used to standard controls in a game, instead of crouching, I found I was just laying flat on the ground, the full length of my body extended, which actually, because of the way they were aiming, just presented them with a larger target, and their little bullets hit me all the more readily. Uh, eventually, I did figure out that that is a uh, toggle that you have to like tap down in order to just crouch, and from your crouch you can do things like slide kicks, you hold down, you will just lie down. I'm sure there's an application for that somewhere. But for a while I was just sort of lying down and getting back up and lying down and getting at back up. When I tried to turn around and go in different directions, sometimes I would turn. Other times I would moonwalk, because you have to hold the direction opposite that you're facing for a moment in order to turn if you just like yeah. tap for a second. If if I don't know, if you're trying to do, like, touchy movements or whatever, like, you're trying to do micro-movements, then there's a good chance, like, I I was doing, because I was trying to do small movements in order to, you know, uh, aim my kicks at these people who are shooting at me.
2: Because this game does require precision.
1: Yes, this game requires precision, but you're like this battleship that's very slowly turns Whenever you want to change direction, so I would alternately very slowly turn or walk, and I was just like lurching around in this on top of fucking deal. Eventually, a row, a series of kind of weirdly segmented roller coaster car. What's it's? I guess it's all one roller coaster car, but the segmentation in the middle makes it look. Anyway, it's like the dream of a roller coaster. Sprang out of nowhere and fucking hit me, and I think I lost health. It's hard to tell. You have a ton of health, which is sort of necessary because you uh, take a lot of hits because you're like a fucking battleship. Anyway, I died up there. I got a game over between these two people with pistols, just sort of lurching around trying to figure out what to do with my weird body. So, in a lot of ways, it was like puberty. my puberty had involved Being shot Other than metaphorically Uh, I've gone on for a long time And probably wasn't very coherent I hope that it's given uh, The listeners out there Some idea of what it's like to be dropped Onto that roller coaster Only for weird Grayscale men to shoot through while you try To figure out how to turn around And crouch Thank you Please educate me on how this game actually works now I'm really curious. Uh like for for the roller coaster or for just in general. Just in general. I'm here to learn.
4: <laughs> I mean, one of the things I think is really funny, the pause before you turn around is so that there can be a whole other set of moves that are done by pressing back in a different button, which I guess ties in well to my first experience in the game, which was the the ticket office, which um Immediately upon starting the game, you're put to like a sort of area selection map. And if you just press nothing but enter, that's, that's where you end up. And you start uh, on the right side of the screen because oftentimes, for some reason, this game seems to want to scroll from right to left, which is sort of in keeping with the mundane strangeness.
2: Yes, the off-kilter kind of vaguely nightmarish aesthetic of the whole thing.
1: Yeah, I also did an, a bunch of dodge rolls, but then I couldn't do dodge rolls again on any of the other levels. I yeah, I want to so take a second to to
4: talk about that because there's there's three dodge moves that for some reason are I think completely invincible and have like a like a damage like they deal damage as well. And I've only figured out how to do two of them, but if you do three of them together, they're supposed to there's supposed to be some sort of chime or tone that plays. There's a like a cartwheel, a back handspring, and a backflip that you can do together. I haven't figured out how to do the backflip yet. But they all chain into one, in, into one another, and I think you can chain the one repeatedly, so you can just keep doing like back handsprings one after the other. Why you can do this, I, I'm not sure. It's not really ever needed during the course of the game. I guess it's a useful thing to do.
2: The game has 30 moves. Like It's very clear that it has 30 moves.
4: Yeah, some some we still haven't discovered. There's apparently a, a number of co-op moves, according to the, the debug menu that we found, but oh yeah. I haven't figured out how to Naturally, do those.
2: This... Yes, this game has a co-op mode, and there's a completely different set of moves that we have no idea about, because we haven't been able to play co-op mode, because this game is an endless frontier of mystery.
3: That's it's... a fancy way of saying it's bad. <laughs> how... How is it bad though? Because I, I kind of disagree.
4: I like this game a lot. I like this game the more that I play it.
3: All right, let me explain my my thoughts here. It's very inscrutable, hard to figure out. You know, if you're like me, you look at the opening level select and think it's a cutscene, so you just press start to skip it because you know I don't really care about the story of this game. And it throws you into a room with these two enemies that are hard to hit. And even when you do hit them, you can't kill them. You can't leave the room. And then eventually you figure out how to go to the other levels and they don't make any sense at all. It, the game does not control very well. It, your character moves like super fast and the, I don't know, for lack of a better term, the camera just moves around way too wildly, so it's hard to see things. But they're puzzles. I don't know how to solve them. There's no real clue uh, on how to solve them either. I don't want to be like, oh, it's a nightmare to play, but it kind of is. It's just a big headache.
1: This is a game, one of the few games, that like uses all of the buttons on the six-button controller, including the mode button, and there isn't a jump button. You press up.
2: And most of the buttons have multiple uses, too. So, yeah, let's, let's talk about the, that area that Ramona was talking about,
4: because I was just talking about that. the ticket office, or ticket. Yeah, I think that's what it is. But, yeah, you, you enter from the right side of the screen. There's two little sort of flea-men-esque murder goblins that show up and are entirely invincible, as far as you can tell. And you walk several screens across to the left, and then you hit a wall. And these little murder goblins catch up with you and harass you until you either die or leave. What you're supposed to do there, though, is you're supposed to notice that uh, the, the columns in the area are climbable because they're actually scaffolding. And that area actually goes up a number of screens up uh, to reveal there's like a like an evil uh, clown, clown, I don't know what to call it exactly, like a mural.
2: Yeah. Like there's a, like the tent has an evil clown on it.
4: This is if you can manage to climb up there because the little murder goblins will levitate into the air and throw little projectiles or something to knock you off your scaffolding. If you do manage to reach a, a platform up there, though, there is a specific move that you can do. The, the back roundhouse move that's done by pressing like back and punch. If you do that, you can just des- destroy like one of the little panels of the mural. And out of the...
2: The tent is made of these panels.
4: Right. If you... Behind two of these, maybe... I don't know, 70, 80 different panels? Does that sound right to you, Tiger?
2: Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, I didn't count. I just kept going and tried to just do it as automatically as possible once you told me what to do.
4: Yeah, behind two of those panels, there's little knife fan-wielding mini-bosses that are the ones controlling the little murder goblins, because those are puppets. If you beat those, then you're allowed to go to the next area, because that's what you were supposed to be doing all along.
2: Furthermore, once you beat one of them, you can use a move that up until this point, just seemed like your character was roaring for no reason, but this move is apparently some kind of soul sucking move, and you can use this to eat the soul of the, of one of the puppeteers you beat, and then one of the puppets that was attacking you, you gain control over.
4: Yeah, there's like a. Uh, looks like your head banging as you absorb the. I don't know, the soul cloud, or whatever it is
2: and regular enemies when you beat them often have like a little cartoon evil skull cloud appear after you beat them up and you can eat them to fill a mysterious meter around your health meter which to describe your health meter it's like a dude it looks like a dude like a like a bodybuilder dude and it's red and it slowly empties as you take damage but around the bodybuilder dude is a blue aura that slowly fills up as you eat souls. Then you can use that by pressing mode and pressing the, uh I think either the Y or X button, one of the buttons and it chain and it palette swaps the whole world. And instead of taking fit- damage on the red part of your meter, you start taking re- damage on the blue part of your meter. Just And it's really counterintuitive and weird and also important to progress through the game.
4: Oh yeah, you can also shoot uh fireballs when you're in there. I forgot to mention that. You press Z when you're in there, you'll shoot like a like a little ghost spirit fireball that seems to just one-shot generic enemies.
1: How long was this game in development? It I is, can't answer that. I've got no yeah, idea. Yeah,
2: there is no information on that.
1: This really just seems like a sort of a You know, it's so late in the console's development cycle. Or the console's lifespan. There's just all these weird little intricate parts. It really just feels like a fucking development team out of control going, Hey, we can animate this move. And then so long as we have this move, what if we were fucking knocking panels off of something in the back? And just slowly piecing together a game from all of, you know, just okay, drawing A to B, C to D, we'll do this, 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 and this. And, it, you know, so long as they're in it, it probably makes a lot of sense because they're fucking living in their own heads and on their whiteboards. But then you present it to the world and they're like, it's like, you want me to do
2: what? And to give you a full idea, like a full picture of, of the process of playing this, once you beat those two puppeteer bosses, then the entrance to the circus opens up, you go into the circus, screen goes black, screen fades in, now you're on a spinning, on a, on a wheel. You are now attached to a wheel with pegs, and knives are being thrown at you, uh, at random points and you can control the wheel and turn it left and right and whenever a knife hits you you take damage and there is no indication of what to do and that is your reward for for completing the first level assuming you start at the ticket booth and what you're supposed to do there each of the pegs is actually a binding on your character and you're supposed to turn the wheel left and right so the knives Hit the binding so you can leave. Once you get off of the wheel, you discover you are in a maze made of wood and glass tubes filled with maggots. And what do the maggots do, Closed?
4: Uh, they're, they're poisonous maggots. They'll, there's a separate mechanic for them, and if you take enough damage, you'll be, I guess, sent back to the uh, the knife wheel yet again.
2: They don't deal damage. You just slowly They just slowly make the screen go darker and darker and darker, and once it goes completely dark, then you have to do the knife wheel.
4: They, they do do damage as well, because why stop with just poison, right? But in general, I just love that this is... In the game files, it's listed as the maggot men act, and uh, who doesn't love to go to the circus and, and see the maggot men in their wooden glass tubes? Everyone's favorite part of the circus, the maggot men act.
2: And you might think... Hey, so later parts of the game, that's just because, like, um, like, oh, maybe it just gets less circusy the more you play? No, the Maggot Man act actually stands out. The rest of the game sticks to the theming of circus pretty closely. So could you give a very fast run-through of, like, the rest of the progression for this level, and then we can sort of move on to the next uh, next couple levels?
4: Sure, yeah. The, the Mega Man Act is like a, a big two-dimensional maze that you sort of uh, repeats horizontally, and it's significantly vertical as well. There's a unique animation where... Uh, Raven, the, the Native American protagonist, will just like sort of plank between uh, two walls and sort of shimmy up them so that you can uh, scale upward. If you do eventually navigate the maze, you actually reach this pretty cool boss called Hydra. that's like a contortionist who has like different stances that she switches between the. The main one is one where she's walking around on her hands with like one leg curled over her head in front of her and her other leg sort of pointed forward as if that's her head um, which is just like a, a really cool stylish thing for such a miserable level.
2: Is that the is that the end of the box office level or does it keep
0: going?
4: Uh, I think after that's when the actual when you enter the actual circus which is this bizarre just like a, like a three-wing circus thing with um, trapeze artists and trampolines and seesaws and all these other little weird physics objects filled with these sort of generic mannequin-esque enemies that i think in the files are listed as just like morphs but the stage itself is the body snatcher act so there's all these bizarre little mannequins that whenever you attack them enough they'll curl into sort of an egg-shaped ball and then sort of an uncomfortable amount of time later they'll either disappear and die or they'll just get back up and go back to what they were doing uh, most of them are non-hostile. A few of them will attack you. The ones riding the unicycles are unique in that sometimes when you attack them, they'll turn into like a strange, sort of terrifying bird monster. That doesn't seem to affect how they behave. It's just, it's just a thing that they do. Monster.
2: And and does this conclude the act?
4: Yeah, I think that's I think that's the end of it.
2: And then there's three others. So since Shrug mentioned the the um the roller coaster level I know the solution to this even though I did not actually manage to pull this off so the roller coaster level is made of a whole bunch of tracks and you're constantly being attacked by enemies that the enemy short described, who are referred to in another part of the game as roadies and their guns are staple guns of
3: all things
1: this is why you should never go to the carnival they're full (laughs) of roadies who will staple you to death
3: like staple gun you mean like that episode of The Simpsons where Smithers is trying to shoot principal Skinner with the stapler?
2: Like, literally yes.
1: They look like pistols, so I'm assuming they just made, they just loaded extremely tiny shot shells, like snake rounds, but it's like 9mm rounds loaded with uh, staples. So they will kill you. The way this
2: goes is you can walk around the tracks, and the tracks have Levers, and you can hit the levers, and the levers uh, change what tracks the roller coaster goes up and down on. So you have to hit the switches in order to make the roller coaster go through the right door and be riding on the roller coaster, which means getting on the roller coaster, which is a very difficult thing to do except for one spot on the map and get on the roller coaster, ride it all the way through, and by the way, when you're on the roller coaster, you will be constantly attacked by the roadies, and then you move on to the next stage after that.
4: There's also a remarkable amount of like, physics on the roller coasters. Like, they will slow down as they go up inclines, or go faster as they go down, and if they don't have enough uh, velocity as they're heading up, they'll stop and slide back down again. It's really like another place where there's a lot more effort than anyone would ever expect.
1: I had trouble getting the levers to consistently move with my attacks. There seemed to be more to those than just, uh, there's a hitbox and if you attack it, it will switch. What the fuck's going on? That's all I want to know. never gonna know and that's okay. So
2: close. Where do you head after the roller coaster?
4: Yeah, it's the it's the workyard because there's actually like a stage transition or a stage entrance thing for it, where the, the roller coaster that you're riding on sort of runs into a barrier and is destroyed, and you're sort of deposited in this um, workyard area. Once again, from the right side of the screen, and you're supposed to walk to the left. If you do that, uh, there's like a comical number of like bouncing plates and pieces of wood and junk that just gets like thrown at you. Like, just like a gauntlet of garbage that I think if you're stubborn enough you can sort of run through. But what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to take that barrier that destroyed your, your little roller coaster um, press, I think, Z next to it and that'll make you grab hold of it and push it forward and you sort of use it as a barrier to to get past the, the gauntlet of junk that's being thrown at you.
2: There is literally no other place in the game that does this.
4: Right, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's nothing indicating this is what you're supposed to do. There's nothing, as usual, indicating that you can do it. It's just try it, I guess. Figure it out, jerk. So, yeah, you, you push this thing across the screen until it disintegrates. I don't know whether it has, like, its own separate health bar or whether it's just at a certain point where you have to run the rest of the way. And you'll find that uh, it's being... All that stuff is being thrown at you by this, like, animate table saw enemy that's called the Wooden Man. And if you walk like maybe half a screen past it, it just sort of sits down and turns into a table saw and won't attack you anymore. And then you fight like a guy with a chainsaw.
1: So what I'm getting out of this mostly is rather than a series of mechanical challenges based on your moveset and level design, like the gross geometry and enemy placement and et cetera, like you might expect with a standard platformer or brawler or brawler platformer, what you really have is lots of single-case uses and gimmicks. To be very explicit with what people have been saying in the chats, it uses a lot of lock-and-key adventure game stuff, but within the format of an action game where you have a health bar.
4: Yeah, it's like a, like a puzzle or an adventure game at its heart, I think, as it exists and as it can be enjoyed.
1: But they also built an extremely over-animated action game character with 30 different moves in a billion animations.
2: And, and more if you have a second player playing.
1: It's every game, and therefore it's the greatest game ever made, Viva uh, Brazil, even if it wasn't made there. Only they had the courage to have it released in their market. Sounds right.
2: So yeah, since I do want to keep things moving instead of just, like, um, going through step-by-step for the rest of the game, as cool as that would be, and maybe there will be an opportunity to do that, I'd just sort of like to hit a couple things I thought were really cool, and, close, maybe you could hit up a couple things you thought were really cool, if that's cool. Yeah. So, the other two levels start out as a Ferris wheel, and the other one seems to be some kind of a funhouse. I'm not 100% sure what it's supposed to be thinking the Funhouse's special level mechanic it introduces is that it lets you rotate rooms. So, most of the rooms in the Funhouse, uh, you can press down and you rotate the room in the direction your character is facing. And this can give you access to additional exits and additional ladders. And throughout this whole process, a series of enemies are attacking you, at like little blimps and little Jack in the Box dudes. And also, where where those exits actually go to is changing constantly. And we st- and I still haven't figured this out. And I don't think Closed has either. Um, of exactly how these places are moving, but you are in a three-dimensional maze conveyed as a 2D side scroll.
4: Yeah, um, I've got no idea, like, how you're actually supposed to get through that maze at all. Particularly considering that, I guess, some of the rooms are moving on their own. Uh, there are... Um, I think you're the one that mentioned this, Tiger, but we found that, like, one of the rooms is just called Elevator Room in the debug mode. And it seems to be moving in some direction because exits will open or close uh, over time. So So I assume it's moving up and down, but there's no map that we can understand.
2: And there's different colors of rooms, and the colors seem to indicate floors, and occasionally you'll find yourself in a purple room, including one purple room which had a unique feature that, when you jump... Your position relative to the motion of the room, because it has, like, a parallax Mode 7-style scroll going on in there, where it's clear that the building you are in is moving, like, back and forth and swinging around. And when you jump, your character actually acts as if they are jumping in a moving object, as opposed to just up and down regularly. Uh, Like, if they had jump physics. And... I don't know if that is significant and if it's useful for anything, but it's a really cool effect that didn't need to be there, and that's the story of everything in this game.
4: Yeah, I love that room. That that room is probably, when I first found that, I was that's probably what enticed me to keep playing the game, when I realized that jumping in that room causes you to sort of shift or jump higher or lower depending on how the room is moving. And it's, it's just like a hallway that you would, there's no reason to ever jump in. There's certainly no reason to just jump up and down in it. Uh and you typically just enter from one side and leave on the other side. Um uh, but for some reason effort was put into this. Someone decided that there should be a room like this. So there is.
1: I encountered my first ladder in uh in the maze and couldn't climb it and hadn't figured out how to make everything rotate yet. I knew that everything rotated because I had watched Tigris' stream, and eventually, after I stood in the right place and pressed the right button, things did rotate, and what I think was the same ladder was now oriented differently, and that made all the difference, and I could climb the ladder. That's it. That's all I've got. But they have ladders at different orientations, climbable unclimbable it's it's a lot it's a lot it's just a lot here's
2: two other spaces that i thought were neat that i'll run through really quick there is a hall of mirrors which has reflections of your character in the background these reflections of course come to life and step out of the thing and you have to fight them but in order to get through this hall of mirrors which infinitely scrolls horizontally much like the maggot man an act you have to figure out how to get out and you have to either press down or press down and up or do something with the up and down buttons and and, uh that will let you step through the mirror once you step through the mirror like everything looks normal but your controls are reversed because you're in the mirror now so you do the exact same thing you just did. You keep checking every mirror until you find the one you can walk through doing the same process. You do that, then you beat up a bunch of uh, mirror guys, and then you advance to another level where you have to fight more mirror guys and smash some mirror prisms.
4: But the, the background, you have to talk about the background, because that's really the, the... I don't know how to describe it exactly, but the stage is called Kaleidoscope, and there's this bizarre sort of color-cycling abstract sort of psychedelic mural that's spinning through the area at varying sort of, like, wave-like speeds. It, it's really just
2: oh, yeah. beautiful. I guess that makes sense, because the objects you beat up in that are, like, prisms. Yeah, I guess they're prisms. Up, yeah, yeah, like you find in one. Huh. So anyway, um, also noteworthy, the fourth and final level in, in the, like, main sl- level select screen is is a Ferris wheel, and it takes you to a Ferris wheel, and the Ferris wheel has one half going up and one half going down, and their floor is on fire, and you have to jump between them until the fire burns itself out, and then you can advance to the next level.
4: And you're immediately dropped uh, about three quarters of the way down the Ferris wheel on the down part of the Ferris wheel, so you immediately fall into the fire if you don't like immediately react to jump to the other Ferris wheel.
2: And also there's enemies constantly attacking you. The same roadies we can... Yeah, the
4: roadie. Oh yeah, along with uh, the... Yeah, I should mention with that there, but there's there's also the... I forget what they're called. Falling jacks, I think. But there's flaming people that will fall onto you when you're on the lower half of the ferris wheel. Um, and there's two different ferris wheel screens. Like, if you go... Basically, you switch between sides of the ferris wheel when you hit the top, shift to another screen, and now you're on the down ferris wheel. But they're not exactly the same in terms of the screen because on one side you pass in front of the axle on the other side you pass behind it it's uh again another small instance of why why did they do this
2: any other uh really cool parts of the game just like one or two other things you'd really like to mention
4: yeah i mean we've already been over the body snatcher act but there's just a ton of different interactions that are only used there there's poles that you can climb and for some reason you can switch which way you're pointing on them so that you can climb down the pole head first for some reason there's little trapeze pegs that you can swing from there's uh like a tightrope that you can shimmy along uh trampolines that you can bounce on there's like seesaws with physics yeah that will fling you upward if something lands on them or if People are standing on both sides of it. It will just be even. It's really just like a lot of things that seem like they could be used for a lot more mechanically, but they're just sort of there. Um, we, we just talked about the Ferris wheel, but the, the fire in the Ferris wheel, if you're able to watch it, which you won't be able to because of how... If you're seeing the fire, you're probably burning to death in it, but it burns through several stages. It starts at a certain level and it will burn higher and higher and then it will burn down until it's nothing, uh, which, again, is... Unique, and I'm not certain why they why they did that, but it's an interesting attention to detail.
2: And there's just, there's even more stuff we could go on about there, but there's two other details I'd like to go through with other parts of the game. So, as mentioned before, this game has a co-op mode, so you can do all that stuff we just talked about with a friend. We haven't done it, who knows what other shits in this game that you can only find with a co-op partner. That's a mystery that has not been answered yet, and on this podcast probably won't be answered, at least not tonight. Uh, secondly, in addition to that mode, it has a two-player competitive mode. Remember how we t- talked about how souls got eaten? If I understand correctly uh, from what Closed has said, once you eat those souls, you unlock that enemy as a multiplayer character.
4: Yeah, I'm not sure if it's, like, based off of having defeated the enemy or whether it's just stage progression, but you do have to unlock every character for for multiplayer via some means, but you you really do unlock every character if you want to be the... Uh, oh, I'm sure Tiger wants to talk about the rolling jack.
2: <laughs> yeah. So when you start out, you can only play as a raven or his pallet-swapped co-op partner, Eagle, and use all of the standard moves from that, plus the boss moves you can pick up throughout the game, because when you eat a boss's soul like the Puppet Master... Other bosses do that too. Like the aforementioned Hydra, you can eat the Hydra soul. You get different moves and you get like one move you can use at a time and eating a new, a move replaces it. There's a lot going on there, but again, we, you know, need to kind of be rolling on through this. So the bosses, which all have pretty complex and complete move sets and are all roughly humanoid. You can play all of those and that makes sense. And that. Is very intuitive, but you can also play the non-humanoid enemies. Like there are blimps and cannons that fly around the fun that move around the funhouse stage. You can control both of those as characters in the multiplayer. And also in in uh my favorite example of this is that there's these things called rolling jacks, which are these like kind of clowns and accordions. Like they're kind of like Jack in the boxes, but both sides are like monster heads with teeth
4: they're like evil wall
2: slinkies yeah like evil wall slinkies and they move up and down ladders and uh when you play one you are on a ladder you are just on that ladder and all you can do is move up and down and when you collide with someone you deal damage and that's all you can do but you can play as that and you can also have two of them fight each other in the most incredible show of, like, fighting combat I've ever seen in a game. And I will link a video on the Twitter, when this episode comes out, a video I took of my Twitch stream, uh, which shows this happening, and it is one of the most surreal sights I have ever seen in a competitive video game.
1: It was extremely exciting, I have to say. Just seeing those, it was pure footsies. Just these two long snakes tapping balls back and forth. He was everything I ever, everything I ever dreamed that fighting combat could be. Two snakes, one ladder, cage match,
2: potato showdown. So, yeah. And every single enemy in the game is there. I would love to figure out some way to, like stream playing that at, at some point to just showcase all the weird matchups you can make so hopefully that'll happen at some point um i might need a person locally to help me do that we'll find see if i can find a person locally the other big point i want to make about about this is this game the only way we got through this game and what kind of rendered it as like um and by we i mean closed i made some progress but closed got all the way through i'm flabbergasted by this and again we don't even know all the stuff you have to do to beat the game but closed managed to get through it so i'm impressed but it has a cheat mode according to the internet you've got to beat the game to unlock the cheat mode or use a code to unlock the cheat mode Uh, The version of the game we had access to already had the cheat mode unlocked, which on the menu is the delightfully named Tweaker Mode.
1: (laughs) I've never really considered that. That is a little... It was the 90s. It was a different time.
2: So you turn Tweaker Mode on, and Tweaker Mode allows you to... Pressing Mode plus A plus Start, and when you do that, you activate the Tweaker menu, and the Tweaker menu lets you change every goddamn numerical value in the entire goddamn motherfucking game.
4: Yeah, that's, that's pretty accurate. You can't necessarily set them to what you want. Some of them, for some reason, have, have minimums and maximums, although they're oftentimes like, absurdly high.
2: Damage per enemy? You can adjust that on like almost everything. Um, damage multiplication values? You can change that. Uh, movement rates? You can change that. Uh, I th- the incarnation rate, which we think is how fast they like how how many enemies spawn that is appear after a timer. You can adjust that. You can push that up and down. There are so many different things you can adjust, both for your character and uh, the enemies in the game.
4: Yeah, it's it's really pretty uh pretty intimidating seeing how much is in there. It's uh, strange how much they could have balanced the game if they wanted or had time, but as it is, you know, you've got to program it.
2: And not only do you got to program it, but this was a selling point for the American version had it ever come out. Uh, There's box art for the American version of the game, which, again, was never released on cartridge. And this box art features a big orange circle that says U, that is the letter U, program technology, customize the game.
4: Which I adore.
2: So this absurdly complicated debug menu was a selling point for this game, which is interesting to me because that implies you were supposed to hack this game to hell and back to get through it.
4: Yeah, it's like they ran out of time and they were just like, well, you figure out how to play it, jerk.
2: And then it never actually came out in America except as a download-only game for a couple of months on the Sega Channel during the twilight days of that download service.
1: It happens to the best of us.
3: Did we test this game before we came out? I don't know, smart guy. Did you test it before you let it out? <laughs> See, that's a good thats a good line for the U-Program uh, feature.
2: Why should we tighten up the graphics on level 5 when you can tighten up the graphics at level 5 at home with U-Program technology?
1: What were you thinking? You sprite it.
4: So in that sense, it's really a, a precursor to stuff like, you know, more modern stuff like Dreams and other uh, games where you're supposed to create the content. Really, I mean, Nightmare Circus is hugely influential when you think about it.
2: I'm imagining Nightmare Circus, like, like, Nightmare Circus 2 coming out, like, a month later, and it's just a prompt that lets you, like, put in assembly code to the Genesis. I can see it. You program the game.
4: It's just like a... It's like the video game equivalent of, like, a model kit where it just gives you all the pieces and you have to figure out how to put it together. It's like a puzzle. It's actually kind of a good idea now that I think of it. I'd play that.
2: That's how basic programming work- books worked in the 80s for stuff like the Commodore 64.
3: Yeah. Get a uh, digitized Stephen Fry to narrate all these concepts to you.
2: That would be so cool.
3: I'm told, I haven't actually looked at the the
4: disassembled code for this game, but i have told that there's actually pretty interesting patterns in it. That, um, I'm trying to remember what what it was said, but it was almost like it was object-oriented design. I don't know what this is coded in or how it was done. I haven't taken a look at the code myself, but uh, it's another interesting thing to consider.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna put a pin in that for Labyrinth Zone because I have some speculation on that because I'd like to move on to Fantasy Zone so we can talk about uh, just sort of the aesthetics and the music in the game because I know Ramona... For some reason, I know Ramona might have some thoughts about this, almost as if this is the second time this podcast has been recorded.
1: You mean you want to know what Ramona's thinking? There's something she can't hi- hide?
3: Uh, don't worry, I'll tell you what's on my mind. <laughs>
2: Anyway, uh, that's the gameplay, and there's so much more shit that we could talk about. There's so much more shit we could blast, but like, uh, we got to talk about other stuff. Unfortunately,
3: yeah, um, I think the developers blasted enough shit on us.
2: <laughs> anyway, um, a fantasy. I'm sure that someone's fantasy. Yeah, that's bad. That's bad. That's bad. Anyway, let's have a fantasy of a better world.
1: Bless my processors and pie.
2: Let's move to the fantasy zone. Let's just move on to the fantasy zone.
1: Da, 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 da.
2: <laughs> Here in the fantasy zone, we talk about the game's spooktacular graphics, its macabre music, and its demonic story, I guess? I I really did not think enough about the theming for this episode. Maybe it should be the Phantom Sea Zone? That's how we, uh, I don't know. I'll figure, figure the shit out in post.
1: I'm just amazed by the whole concept of, like, an evil circus, uh, a dark carnival, if you will. Like, who would have thought <laughs> a spooky clown that's kind of scary instead of uh, a lodestone of fun and mirth the clown that scares
2: i've never heard anything like it before
1: that was, why, did did you you like that? why did you emphasize it like that yeah why what was with that emphasis um, I don't, was that
4: was that like a reference
2: to
1: uh, to
2: something something? No, I mean, I this don't... game is completely original. There's never been a game about a scary circus. And that's definitely not like literally half of everything Tim Burton's ever done on top of that.
1: there's Tim Burton? Oh, right. He's that guy that died after he made Huey's Big Adventure. <laughs> the shame he never made any more movies.
3: <laughs> I remember mm-hmm. his filmography the same way I remember The Alamo. Movies. <laughs> Those are like
2: uh, like cutscenes. Anyway, journeying through something one might describe as a psycho circus, our protagonist Raven, who is a very white wolf werewolf, the apocalypse-looking uh, Native American guy, uh, comp- I, which I'm sure was very well researched and 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 respectful in presentation, and is also has a move set that implies he's some kind of circus acrobat which is that's a decision so we have a native american man doing circus acrobatic things fighting some kind of uh lovecraftian cthulhu joker man called the joker in this game because it turns out uh if it's not in a comic book uh or a movie joker isn't trademarked or something (laughs) we live in
3: a copyright society
2: Editor's note, just to reiterate, we thought the jester was called the Joker. He is called the jester, not the Joker. And, uh, and he fights through various circus things, so everything's like a fun circus, except it's deadly and kills you, which again, this is the only time that's ever happened in any video game. Or any piece of media ever. There were not literally several Sega Genesis games which had circus theming where the circus was trying to kill you as a major thing. I also
4: don't think, I think this is, isn't it Funcom was somehow involved in this? I feel like
2: they've done like the Nightmare Circus, like a, the
4: sort of evil circus thing a number of times.
1: Funcom what developed this game. It was published by Tech Toy.
4: Yeah, so maybe it's not even US developed. Isn't Funcom European?
1: They're Norwegian. Norwegian. I do think
2: for some reason that this was mostly developed by Americans for some reason. But I honestly could not tell you why I think that it's... I think because we heard, like... I think the reason I I assumed it had a lot of American developers was because I thought... One of the people we were talking to on a a Discord, I believe, had worked with one of them before? But I guess he could have moved... To different places, really.
1: They might have, like, farmed out jobs to people in other countries. Hey, we need 500 sprites of this dude in jeans with a single feather.
2: I could see your someone in Europe wanting that.
1: Yeah, there's, a, like, a whole... Germany has, like, Ren Fairs, but for uh, Native American culture.
2: Are you um, serious?
1: Yeah, uh, I can't really... For some reason, I'm forgetting, I'm forgetting his name off, I can't remember off the top of my head, but there was this extremely famous fraud who wrote German guy, uh, con artist, uh, left town, went to jail a bunch of times for the equivalent of passing bad checks, uh, in the like mid 19th century, mid to late 19th century discovered he had a facility for writing trash books and then he started Carl something whatever anyway he started writing having never been to an to America or really done any research about America he started writing uh, about the adventures of a young German man who went to America and met a Amerindian gentleman and they went and did all sorts of uh, fun stuff like killing bloodthirsty buffalo because this guy didn't know nothing about buffalo. So he just thought that they were like ravenous killers or something. He became filthy rich and he started telling people, uh, yeah, these are true stories. They're about my actual adventures with this Indian chief. Uh, and I was in. So he was. Built this whole fabulous thing about his life until he also had another, uh, pulp novel series about the same character's adventures in Egypt. Which, of course, also did, he also did no research about that. And he became an honorary sheik in that he actually traveled to Egypt just because he had a lot of money and thought, why not? He was fucking disgusted by. <laughs> Being there, hated it. Turns out he did not like the traveling life. Uh, eventually he was uh, revealed as a fraud late in life. Whatever died rich. Anyway, Hitler loved him. Um, and it is more than possible that the particular presentation... Of course, we know that uh, Hitler got lots of ideas uh, about how he ran things like uh, the Holocaust from and his general treatment of undesirable people in uh, Nazi Germany from America. But it is quite possible that there were a lot of ideas about expansionism and frontier shit and whatever that uh, were instilled in Hitler by reading this dude's books and his sort of weird particular European take on uh, the American frontier. And Hitler had like a full set of his books until the day that he died and was always presenting them to people. Anyway, this is a very long aside to say that yes. based on this person, uh, there is now a there is now a tradition of the equivalent of Renfairs for Germans in Germany annually all over the place. Apparently, they are generally now better researched than uh this dude. Uh, There are actually some languages that have been preserved because German people took very seriously the study of them. So it's not just all weird white people cosplay, but it's a thing. It's there, and it's been 10 minutes, and I apologize. (laughs) I'm very tired.
2: I'm I'm fascinated by this, but yes, uh, we should probably move on to details about the game. I would like to just say, as we all know, there is, being in Europe, European history... Is such a difficult thing for Germans to access and have, um, perhaps, a fair of a Renaissance era variety of their own.
1: It'd be pretty much impossible. It was Carl May, was the guy. Carl May. Carl May. Well, he yeah.
2: So, all that So trash. anyway, um, Ramona, if you're if you're still with us, this game has music that's actually pretty good, and there's a reason for the pretty good music, isn't there, Ramona?
3: Yeah, okay, first of all, this music rules, and it's like the one part of the game I like. Uh, Okay, so, about the music, it was composed uh, by a wonderful man by the name of Kurt Harland. Uh, Some of you out there in the gaming world have probably heard his stuff in uh, other games, uh, because he went to Crystal Dynamics uh, shortly after this. Uh, He worked on things like uh, Gex, Eds for the Gecko uh legacy of k and soul reaver and he's still around in the industry he's been doing a lot of uh, games since then but what makes him special for me and for a lot of other people which i will get to in a minute uh he was the lead vocalist and one of the synth players for a band called information society which is one of my favorite bands and that's why I wanted to be on this episode, because I wanted to gush about how much I love Kurt Harlan and Information Society.
1: Would you say that, um you brought pure energy to nightmares?
3: Absolutely. And, uh, going back to a previous point, uh, much like Psycho Circus, Kiss doesn't appear in this game either. <laughs>
4: So as far as, like, aesthetics go, there's, like, a really minor thing that I, that I like in the multiplayer mode. Instead of uh, having, like, player or CPU for the for the computer-controlled player, uh, instead it's, like, jester. So it's like the, the villain of the game is controlling the, the character that you pick when a player isn't playing as him. I really like the uh, sort of contextualizing things that
2: way. Yeah, it's just yet another... Like, so many things in this game have absurd attention to detail like that, and just dedication to theming that absolutely did not need to be as complete as it is in the game. There's a lot of cool features about this game, but we ta- but a lot of the distinct visuals we talked about in uh, the gameplay portion, and a lot of it is just, have you seen a thing with an evil circus aesthetic before? You've seen this game. You can go and you can watch. I don't know what's a, what a like. I like watch. Okay, like uh, watch a Tim Burton Batman movie. Like watch Batman Returns. You basically got the idea.
4: Yeah, I feel like that's true ninety nine percent of the time, and then one percent of the time it's just some weird, weird one off, inexplicable thing.
1: Sometimes there's an evil circular saw armature thing.
4: Yeah, or an evil slinky.
2: Both of which are playable in multiplayer.
4: I love that the the table saw man just starts off as a table, and if you don't know what buttons to press to have them not be a table anymore, then that's just, that's all you get. You're just a table.
3: Well, I have one more point. The thing I wanted to get to was, this game only saw a physical release in Brazil, which is kind of fitting because over here in the US, Information Society are mostly considered to be a one-hit wonder, uh, with Pure Energy being their one-hit. However, they are, they were and are very, very popular in Brazil. In fact, they did a show, uh, only a month ago in Rio de Janeiro. I just thought that was interesting and worth pointing out. Listen to Information Society, Kurt Harlan, I love you.
2: After after that we're going to move into the labyrinth zone. Welcome to the Labyrinth Zone, which I'm just... The Halloween theming here is that it's filled with monsters. It's a labyrinth with lots of, like, spooky monsters. The Labyrinth is thir- circus-themed. It's a scary circus.
1: Oh, no, there's a frozen Jack Nicholson. It's okay, he's already frozen. He can't... He can't... can't get you. It's fine.
2: I, I hate that my thought for frozen Jack Nicholson was Jack Nicholson singing Let It Go.
1: Well, you know. It's not the worst thing he's ever done.
2: Oh God, that's a whole tangent.
3: Jack Nicholson. Yeah, I can't. I can't believe he spilled a fucking Tupperware full of chili at a game, at a fucking basketball game. What the hell is wrong with you, dude? Jack.
1: You don't have to bring your chili from home. You can afford concessions.
3: I mean, I I love your Twitter account. I think you're very funny, and I hope your your web series on Adult Swim takes off. But come on, dude, really. <laughs>
0: It's so, uh,
3: really good, chilling. I have absolutely just dated this podcast talking about Joel's TV show that will probably be canceled.
2: It's Adult Swim. I don't even know how those guys make money. Family Guy reruns, I guess that just funds everything else.
3: I bet they're getting some some of the same uh, Nazi gold that Carl May was living off of.
2: Perhaps, but anyway. The Labyrinth Zone is where we talk about research about the game, uh, generally, traditionally, manuals are read, but the only manual we have access to is in Portuguese, and actually that's a lie, we don't even have access to the manual. And it's in Portuguese. Although the game isn't in Portuguese. game's in English. Every version of the game that's ever been found is in English. Who knows why? There's not a lot here. This is gonna be very, very short, and I suspect... and. What I found right now is probably all that's, there's going to be, so does anyone have any extra dirt they dug up on this game?
4: Uh, I've got a little bit on the, on the developers of it. Go for it. So the, the lead program in this is uh, Johan Anderson, who now works at uh, Paradox as a I think creative director. Uh, I considered, like, tweeting at him, being like, hey, remember that game you made, like, 20-plus years ago? Can you, like, tell me all of its secrets, please? But I didn't. So, Johan Anderson, I'm sure you're listening to this, because uh, why wouldn't you listen to us gush about this wonderful game that you made ages and ages ago when you were a programmer and not, like, a, like an actual game designer? Uh, if you are, please... Contact me or us and and give us the, the sweet, sweet details on, like, Nightmare Circus and its secret legacy.
1: I found the manual. It is definitely in Portuguese. I can definitely not read Portuguese.
2: Holy shit, it lists every single move for... Wait, I thought this listed every char- every move that um, the main character could do and it changed level by level, but I don't think it actually does? I think if I'm understanding this right, and I could be wrong, because I do not speak any Portuguese. It looks like all the unlockable enemies have a move, move list.
3: This is what I'm getting at here, it's like the multiplayer mode is like a shit version of Guardian Heroes.
2: Well, that's one of the multiplayer modes. The other multiplayer mode is, co- is a completely absurd version of Street Fighter 2.
4: Well, there's also the third multiplayer mode that we haven't mentioned yet, the competitive multiplayer mode.
2: Oh, right. Ugh, this game just never ends. <laughs> yeah, the
4: competitive multiplayer mode where Player 2 plays as whatever enemy is on screen during the single player game.
2: This, this is game a, is amazing. This game is amazing. Uh, okay, so yeah, there are a lot of moves here. It does list the editor in here. Like I'm looking at the manual right now. I wish I knew this manual was here because we might have actually been able to have some questions answered for us. Uh, but yeah, I guess I just did not look hard enough.
4: But we'll just record the podcasting again, right? Yeah.
2: Uh, uh, yeah. Uh. We'll just um, do
4: another one next year. It'll just be the yearly Nightmare Circus <laughs> podcast.
2: Just add the, the traditional Nightmare Circus annual, where we find what we discovered about this game.
3: Every, every year, we figure out another debug menu option. Like, what does the dude movement option mean? I'll find out in 2020, motherfucker.
4: <laughs> yeah, there is a, yeah, what's it, dude movement, right? Something like that.
2: Yeah, there is a dude movement, I believe.
4: The the Maggot Men Act has a has a number of maggots option, and it's set something absurdly high, like 400 is the default, um, and that's 400 like hexadecimal, so it's actually, I guess, like a thousand something, four thousand.
1: Okay, I'm trying the Google Translate app. I'm getting psychic <laughs> energy. Nightmare <laughs> Circus is fueled by psychic energy. Sigh. When ghosts materialize, they change the psi, pure spiritual energy, to the corporeal psi and make real beings and killers of this material plane. The fee of psi that each subject carries depends on their wickedness. Raven also has the bodily psi, which can increase or restore yourself. When Raven breaks up with a guy, uh, Nightmare Circus is gay culture. When Raven breaks up with a guy, he evaporates. Well, that's not healthy. Releasing your spiritual energy. Incorporeal sigh Jumping about the release I Raven can absorb it. If Raven if Raven lose
4: I think maybe yeah, I think maybe beating a boss gives you essentially like an extra life, maybe? I don't know. There's a little figure that lights up whenever you ...absorb a boss. If
1: Raven lose all his corporeal sigh, catching a lot, he's defeated and the game is over. Raven can... now no, it's freaking out. I'm getting <laughs> ladders of... <laughs> Raven can capture... Raven can... yeah, come on. Come on, Raven can...
3: it's not gonna work. I mean, I evaporate whenever I break up with the guy, so I can definitely relate to Raven. At least mm-hmm. in that capacity.
1: Okay, Raven can absorb a limited rate of psi. Raven can absorb a limited rate of psi.
2: I think it means there's a maximum to the amount of psi you can. When defend. you,
1: I think it's like when you defeat a boss, the rate of psi you can absorb goes up. Oh. Bosses' special. Sniper. Oh right,
4: yeah. yeah. It's like a. It works like a sub tank. That's what it was. Where each oh, one of those yeah. uh, little. Filled in figures is like an extra blue psi meter, essentially. I think, anyway.
1: Raven can overcome the most demonic spirits at Nightmare Circus, just attacking with a huge sigh. Every boss at Nightmare Circus has a psychic technique special that Raven can win. When a boss is melted, tated, and begins... So when you turn them on their side and it begins to fade, move Raven into the spirit dematerializing and capture your special ability with the z button you can only use one at a time god the future is insane this is almost coherent see the life force meter at the top of the screen he indicates the amount of corporeal and incorporeal psi accumulated by raven hmm.
2: that's pretty much what we figured out um so there's two things i'd like to mention here in the labyrinth zone uh, when you were talking Closed about it maybe being object-oriented, I think all of the character, a lot of the characters at least, have, like, physics properties because, okay, in the two-player multiplayer mode, when you're fighting, like the fighting mode, the bad guys still are affected by stuff like uh, the room that's moving and you notice it's moving by jumping in the air. That affects everybody. And I think the way they programmed this game was by giving it a class like this is a person and every person has these particular attributes. And the only difference is like who's controlling this and how each of the actions is being activated by a different script that would make it very easy to understand how they got how the how the multiplayer mode happened, because that would be trivial to implement uh, if you designed the game that way. And it's a really good way to design a game in general. I don't know if I explained that well. I'm getting tired. Okay. And the other detail is I found the Wikipedia page, which I did not notice before, has the story for the game. Uh, And the story is, is a hell of a thing. Okay. So plot. The story begins with a circus that was held out in the desert of Arizona on opening night the circus was burned completely to the ground by its shady and villainous operator, the Jester, who I guess it's the Jester, not the Joker. Sorry, everyone, I think we've called the Joker the entire time, for some reason, who invented to cash in on an insurance policy! Afterwards, the Jester was convicted for the deaths of fire victims. However, before he was executed, the Jester warned that the souls of his victims would be forever tormented. Many years later, a native of American named Raven, who had lost his relatives in the fire, goes to investigate the location where the circus is held, and where supernatural events have been reported. Night comes, and suddenly there appears, via the psi energy of the jester, a ghostly apparition of the destroyed circus. Oh, and Carnival. Carnival. Carnival is also exactly like this game. That's another video game that is like
1: this. So it's an entire ghost circus.
2: Uh, Generated by the Joker's psychic energy, yes.
3: No, you keep talking about psychic energy. This is actually the Psycho Circus. (laughs) Hey, would I get cancelled for saying I still kind of like some of Kiss's music, even though I think every member of the band is a total asshole?
2: I I think that's that's okay, probably. I don't know. I...
1: I cancel everybody for everything, but I don't think it counts because I've already been canceled for everything.
4: I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to like things, except
1: for Nightmare
3: Series. Oh, shit, then I've definitely canceled that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it.
2: Okay, I think that's what we dug up about the game, so it's time for us to move on to our final thoughts in the Death Egg Zone. here in the death egg zone uh everybody gets a chance to give their summarizing thoughts about this particular video game and just talk about what they thought about the game and give the game a rating on the completely standardized and always the same metric of one to seven Joker's cards. I know that's not even in the game, but it seemed like the best way to measure
1: it. I did not particularly enjoy playing this game. I did not get a certain person's saved file to work while I was struggling with it. I got hit with many projectiles. I struggled with the contextual um, controls. I did a lot of walking that I didn't mean to do. I did a lot of laying down that I didn't mean to do, uh, which did mirror the rest of my life, which is... uh, and lived in the shadow of clinical depression, so, you know, I related to that. It was nice to see my struggle reflected in the video game, mechanically. Uh, but I liked watching Tigress play and seeing all the stuff that there was to see that I didn't see. I liked reading closed summary of it. I can see the version of this where I don't have a health bar that's going down. It might be kind of fun, uh... There's a lot of animations. Good job making all those animations. Someone that probably didn't make enough money and lost a lot of sleep. So I would call it kind of a mixed bag. I didn't like my experience, but I liked the experience of seeing other people's experience. And, ultimately, I found out through the magic of Google Translate that Raven is a homosexual that is canon, and as part of the queer SJW cabal that's actively undermining western culture, I must stand a gay king. And that is why, uh, in order to further my undermining of western civilization, and in respect to the game that this might be, if I use the cheat mode, I'm going to give it a full 69 out of 7 Joker's cards.
4: So uh, I'm going to give this one Joker's card, specifically the Little Box, which according to Wikipedia is, uh, upon death a soul enters a dark chamber containing a jack-in-the-box on a cold table. The front of the box has a painted question mark faded to time, representing the mystery of your own afterlife. As the handle is turned, a melodic tune begins to play. When the music stops, the decision is revealed. The chair see a vision of God, warming their souls as they enter eternal peace. The wicked see an immense fog seeping from the box, stripping their sanity as they witness an image of hell spawned in form from their own people, hideous reflection of their demented souls. Full of holes from underneath the path of the deep this bit of hell. That's uh work, work. Yeah. So that's that's pretty much my feelings on Nightmare Circus in general. I could go further with like an actual my uh, thoughts on the game, but I feel like that pretty much sums it up.
3: I also give it one Joker's card, and I was also going to give it The Riddle Box. Not for the reasons you said, but because my teenage nostalgia took over and made me realize oh, yeah, The Riddle Box was my favorite ICP album back in the day. Woof woof. Anyway, uh, just my actual thoughts on this. Like, you know, it was not a good game by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, you know, it's very easy to see why this didn't exactly get a wide release, you know, it only got, you know, physical release in one country and a digital release elsewhere. Uh, even though I had the Sega Channel as a kid, I never saw this game on there, so, I don't know, maybe I, maybe I skipped it that day. But anyway, it's very clear that, like, a lot of... <laughs> Jesus, dog, don't die on me. A- anyway, it's clear that a lot of effort went into the game, like... You know, obviously, the music is is amazing and mind-blowing and life-changing. Uh, and the graphics, while they're not great-looking, they are well-animated. And there was all that effort of the editor and the debug menu and, and things like that. But you got to ask, to what end? Because at the end of the day, you still made a shitty game. And it does feel very cynical to have like this whole oh, well, here, don't worry about it. We made it like this so you can fix it later and feel like a real programmer when it's like, nah, it, it feels very cynical, you know? But, you know, who knows? Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is how other people are when, you know, how other people feel when I talk about, like, Highlight or something. Uh, cat turd. Don't like it.
4: I think that's, that's totally fair, but what I... You know, like I said, the Nightmare Circus, the action platformer game, is just like basically unplayable. But the act of figuring out how to play this game is is like my favorite game that I've played, like this year probably. You know, there are games that hide secrets, but usually it's sort of this kind of fake sandboxy way where there's a little bit of the secret poking out of the ground. This is just like figuring out how to do anything in this game is isn't like you found out a secret; it's like you've stolen it. Like, the game does not want or welcome you advancing or doing anything in it.
2: You have to acquire that knowledge.
1: It truly is a riddle box.
2: What's that, Rudy? You want to say the first thing you've said this entire recording session because you did, after all, suggest we play this game for Halloween and in fact might have been the host when we recorded the first attempt at this podcast? Yeah, sharing a death egg right now would make perfect sense. Take it away.
5: Hey Mega Drivers, Rudy here. I'm the one to blame for the congregate playing this game. Found in a Ramset, stuck in my mind. Does not play by normal rules, feels dark, mysterious, and real. When I play an amateur indie or flash game, it can feel incomplete and unknowable. I just accept those qualities. You can wander off the map and because the seams just aren't tight enough. I broke the game into boring and nothingness. Nightmare Circus starts in such a strange place that it feels incomplete and unknowable as atmosphere. As a quality inherent in the work, what's happening? Why is happening? Nightmare Circus is a nightmare with rules that change at in unknown intervals as you do things for reasons that make sense at the time. As a piece of art to stumble across late at night, trying games at random, it gets a full seven things.
2: And now, I should probably say what I thought. I'm going to give this a uh, good old Tiger 3. I'm splitting the difference here because as an exploration game where you're trying to figure it out, I, do, I feel like it's a 6. I've definitely, like, it feels like that might not be intentional, which is why it's not 7. But the experience of it is great. It's kind of like uh, there's this creepy pasta called Petscop. That some of you might have seen and some people listening might have heard of, which is about somebody exploring an unreleased PlayStation game and eventually finding out it's got the souls of dead children in it or something. Uh, I don't really understand the full plot, but the fun part for me is just watching like a creepy exploration through this game with that set seems incomplete, but the more it unfolds, it just does not work like anything you'd expect. Uh, when you started playing it. And uh, Nightmare Circus really felt like that, but like a real one to me, but fortunately without actual dead child souls in it, to my knowledge, that we found, anyway. It was interesting when I looked into this game. Everything, uh, like every review of it was just, everyone played the levels once, said there was no way to beat it, and said the game was completely incomplete and there was no way to beat it, but there is. It's just completely... Completely counterintuitive. And the reason I give it a three instead of a six, even though the experience of it was kind of a six, is I do have to feel a little objective here, which is we recorded this podcast, this is the second time, okay? And the first time I played it, I was cranky and I was like, this game just absolutely blows. It is an absolute turd. And I can't ignore that feeling I had, right? I can't ignore it entirely because while I love the exploration and trying to figure out what the hell is going on with this, when I just played it as the game presented itself, I hated it. I just thought it was terrible. I thought it was vastly inferior to one of my favorite unreleased games, uh, uh, Atmosphere for Super Nintendo, which you can listen to on a Exploration podcast on this feed. I highly recommend listening to that if you haven't, because it's a very good Halloween listen. I still kind of think that just as a raw product, but as like as this, once you tweak it, once you explore it, and once you experiment with the game, it becomes something so much bigger. So the average between 1 and 6 is 3 and thus, it is 3! I decree. Spooky ghost It's a ghost 3, I guess.
3: See, Tigress, the only problem with your creepypasta theory is that Um, at no point in time did I see any hyper-realistic blood in Nightmare Circus. Or Sonic EXE.
2: Or the Tails doll.
4: I do like that that observation a lot, though, because it's like, it's it's a... There's stuff in it that's bad, but more than that, stuff just seems wrong or off in a sort of creepypasta sort of way.
2: Like the maggot man level.
4: Yeah, like a... Yeah, it seems like a totally different... Like a level from a completely different game, just somehow uh, wormed its way in.
1: I don't get it. Fuck. <laughs> first, well, first, first, you'll have to explain what a worm is to me. I guess. You know what? We can deal with that later.
4: Yeah, that's that's like a whole other podcast.
2: As we close the book on this chapter of the book of Mega Drive. I would like to ask everybody if people listening to this podcast want to find out more about y'all, where can they find more about y'all?
1: Uh, it's, I'm shrug. I'm shrug on the forums. I'm at shrugopolis on Twitter where I am subtly undermining Western civilization. Very rarely mostly through retweets, whatever I'm on the other podcast on this feed. I'm on No rangers allowed, being a petulant dwarf um, and annoying other people, one of whom is on this feed on occasion. I have some tabletop games on shrug.h.io. One of them's for one player. It's way too serious. The other ones are funny. That's it.
4: Closed. I have a Twitter with one tweet. It is false underscore city. If you want to admire my one tweet assuming that remains the status of it, then feel free to to follow and admire it. Other than that, I don't have a lot lot of other presence on the Internet. All
3: right. uh, To all the juggalos and juggalettes out there who want to talk to me, uh, you can go to my website at lonelyfrontier.net. You can hit me up on Twitter uh, at Ramona underscore LF. Um, You know, I do a lot of things involving art, and uh, game development and uh, shit posting about video games because I'm bored. And also remember that the wicked clowns will never die. Whoop whoop!
2: And I am Automatic Tiger, sometimes Automatic Tigress. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Automatic Tiger, and you can find me on the Select Button forums. ...as Automatic Tiger. The Book of Mega Drive is a Snexploration Squad Gaiden podcast, which I don't usually say, because it's on the same feed. We're kind of the same podcast, where different people are in charge of different stuff. You've, you've probably listened to the Snexploration stuff, and if for some reason you haven't, you should. It's on the same feed. Your phone probably already downloaded it. Listen to some of that. I'm on that, and it's a good old time. This is a uh, spin-off of the Select Button Forums, which is a cool, cool place to talk about video games... And leftist politics and leftist politics and video games, and apparently what one calls a piece of toast with an egg cooked into the middle of it that's been a discussion that's been going.
1: And that's why I'm leaving months. the forums forever
2: and so yeah, join in the discussion there and find uh, find various people talking about various things, some of which are even related to video games. You can find the book of Mega Drive's Twitter at Book of Mega Drive on Twitter. And I don't always say this because like nobody ever uses it. There's also bookofmegadrive at gmail.com. We got a email. If you send us an email, as long as it's not something horribly disgusting, like something racist or something, I'll read it on air. Like, uh, if you wanted to say it's cool or you disagreed or something, it's cool. I'll, I'll probably read it. And I, Really don't expect anyone to email it, but that'd be cool if you did. Typically here, we discuss voting and what what the next episode's gonna be, but, like, this episode was a bonus episode, and I think at some point we were gonna have two in October, as opposed to one late episode in October that was not previously announced yeah. But whatever, you got a cool episode anyway. I'm 99% positive the next episode you're gonna hear is, is, uh, Pocahontas, which will be probably in time for Thanksgiving. Yeah. Oh boy, we still gotta get through that episode. Um, and, uh, after that, it should be a fun, special, secret episode, which I'm, uh, still working on the details of, but.
1: Oh my god, here. another chance to bring up
3: Carl May. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I just realized that these two episodes are going to be sort of a duology on accident.
3: Hey, you ever think, like, what if Carl May's middle name was Anna? (sighs) Just just a little something to think about, you know. Keep you up at night. Alright, I'm gonna have to, uh, do some post-editing and add in more references to the Insane Clown Posse. <laughs> like, like, the exact opposite of taking something out. Just put more of it in. I'll, I'll just, at some point, just kind of cut in that, like, I'm literally wearing face paint or something.
1: We should open with just the audio from... Uh, the scene in Soderbergh Solaris where George Clooney hears a riddle box playing eerily in the space station, and he follows it to find Jeremy Davies, probably the spookiest use of insane clown pos- posse in science fiction cinema, in my opinion.